Hi, Dustin. Hey, Hooper. <laughs> uh, talking about uh, strangers, strangers on our doorsteps. Yeah. Yeah. Scary times. Yeah, man. Um, it's weird. I've got IMDb pulled up and um, they've got, you know, sometimes they'll change the background to advertise the next thing or whatever. And yep. I didn't know this. They're making an HBO show out of The Outsider, which is one of Stephen King's newer books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I own it. I haven't read it yet, but I have it. It's like, oh, wow. Mm. I, I should probably get on reading this if they're if they're about to make a, th- it's going to, people are going to be talking about it. Now I got to like. Right, exactly. Now I've got to do it. Yep. I also found it recently that Stephen and Tabitha King have a son named uh, Joe, Joe Hill, and he is also an author, and he's a comic book writer. He wrote, like, that Lock and Key um, Mm -hmm. thing that was on, like, Hulu or now is on Netflix or something. Yep. Um, So I I lined up a few of his books in my library list just to to read it because I've realized at this point I can't get in on these, like, legacy authors like Stephen King or James Patterson, you know, like people who've written, like, 70 books Mm -hmm. since the 1980s. Right. I was like, all right, uh, I got to get on. And so I just thought, and so and before I knew that Joe Hill was like Stephen King's son, I, I Googled him and I clicked on his picture and I was like, wow, this guy, this guy looks a lot like Stephen King. It's kind of weird. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, it's his dad. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, he's just got the, he's, he's got that face. Right. Exactly. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna be kind of cool. So I think the first one, his first novel is called Heart Shaped Box. So I ought to be reading that, uh, this weekend. So I'm pretty excited about that. Okay. I've done a good bit of reading and I want to read stuff. Like I, the reason I brought that up is because, uh, Scott Derrickson, the Dr. Strange and the Sinister director, mm-hmm. um, him and Cargill, the writer, um, who's two of who, whose books I've, I've read two of Cargill's books as well. Um, mm. they're adapting a Joe Hill book for a film and it's like an R rated horror film. And p- people mm. were asking Derrickson if he was going to get back into horror after Dr. Strange. And he was like, yes, in fact, here's the project. And so I was like, who is this Joe Hill guy? So now mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, I want to read this. Cause it'll, it'll be a thing that I might end up seeing, you know? Yeah. 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 So that's kind of cool. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, that, no, that's awesome. So it was on IMDb. It's interesting. I want to yeah. be ahead of the curve when they, ad- Oh, he also wrote, um, horns that Daniel Radcliffe, that, yes. that, that book that, got made to that film. He's, he's yep. the, he's the, the author of that book. Yeah, man. So I was like, right, yeah, I was talking about Joe Hill recently. Oh, you know, uh, who it was. yeah, I've oh. not, I've, I haven't read anything of his, but, um, but yeah, I knew him from horns. Yeah. Back, back when that film came out, I, I looked up everything, you know, like all the people involved. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a while ago. Yeah. It was a good, a good little chunk of time. Mm-hmm. I think it, uh, it may have been just after, Deathly Hallows. I think it was like the, one? one of the first. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it was after part two, but I can't remember. Yeah, I can't either. Um. Um. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well. Anyway, I just <laughs> I just thought of that for a second. Um, yeah, yeah. All right. So let's get right down to business tonight. So we got a few things to that we wanted to mention. Yes, um, sir. Can I, do you mind if I lead off tonight? Do it. All right. I'm going to do two things. I'm going to lead off. And while this trailer plays, I'm going to go get coffee. <laughs> so <laughs> you're just going to sit here and listen to the trailer for a marriage story until I get back with my coffee. And that's, that's what we're going to do it. tonight. I think. Okay. But yeah, the do film it. I'm talking about tonight is in fact, marriage story. What I love about Nicole. She is a mother who plays really plays. What I love about Charlie, he loves being a dad. He loves all the things you're supposed to hate, like waking up at night. She knows when to push me and when to leave me alone. He never lets other people keep him from what he wants to do. Dad, you're too far. I know. It's not easy for her to close a cabinet. He's incredibly neat. She's brave. He's brilliant. He's very very competitive. competitive. 
call, tell Charlie what's happening, and Cassie, you then hand him the envelope. I just get nervous. Can you unserve? What do you mean, like take? Anyway, yeah, this is some of the trailer from Marriage Story. You could hear that, right? Yeah. Okay. Thank God. <laughs> it was low, but yeah, I got oh, you. Oh, it is low. God, I don't know what's wrong with my settings tonight. That's Weird. all good. That's okay. All right. Uh, anyway, Marriage Story is written and directed by Noah Baumbach or Baumbach or Baumbach. 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 Uh, <laughs> however you say his name. Um, he's written a few. He's written and directed. He's one of these. He's in, he's one of these auteur directors. Um, for those who who don't know his work, he he's done some stuff. I think the first time he was on my radar was uh, the first time he and Ben Stiller worked together. It was called like. Um, uh well I forgot anyway um <laughs> Greenberg <laughs> that's what it was and um yeah so he is um he's not Tory writes he's one of these writer directors so of course I I kind of like him on a base level like just hey good for you you know you're doing it um so uh yeah um this there's a pretty well publicized and well advertised movie of his probably the better probably the best marketed movie he's he's probably ever made i mean there's again there's a couple of others that he's made um Meyerwitz stories was probably the most recent one which was with his project with adam sandler um and uh i believe that was for netflix and so this is his his next thing which is with uh starring adam driver and scarlett johansson and it is about a couple um uh, a marriage breaking apart and this is um you know adam driver plays a theater director in new york and his wife and scarlett johansson plays his wife who is an actress and they share an eight-year-old son um and and they are getting divorced um so the movie drew my attention obviously because it was sort of a big part of like public conversation. Um, and it was, uh, it was, um, it just seemed like one of those event films in the way that, um, this new frontier streaming could be an event, you know, it just, it was, mm. it was very much being talked about and it was getting a lot of awards buzz during its theatrical run, which Netflix gave it a theatrical run so that it could qualify for awards because this is an awardee film. Um, mm. and, um, but yeah, so it is currently on Netflix, um, so you can watch it. I'm sure if you have Netflix account, you've seen it on the homepage. Um, and if you haven't watched it yet, um, maybe you're waiting to hear how it is or you don't care, whatever. So you're listening. I assume you care. Mm-hmm. Um, I would give Marriage Story out, uh, probably between a three and a four. Um, okay. So the movie, I, I think I expected a lot more... Um, <sighs> The way that this is clicking is killing me. The way that um the movie is marketed, um, and the way it's been sort of buzzed about, I think I expected a lot more of like an emotional f- impact from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm always kind of curious whenever these movies come by that that seem to want to offer some kind of refreshed or alternate or maybe um un un um uncommon maybe um take on a topic like divorce mm-hmm. and uh so in that sense the movie really i mean it follows the couple i would almost argue it's more of adam driver's story mm-hmm. kind of would just because he's the character who 
at least to me, does the, has the most growth in the film. Um, it, it's definitely about the two of them, and it's not filmed from, just from his perspective. But I found myself, and maybe it's because I'm, I'm the man, but like maybe I found myself really following and sort of seeing the movie from his perspective a lot. Um, I think a good chunk of the middle is from his perspective. Um, and maybe it's supposed to be that way. I don't know. Um, but the, the couple, they, they, they eventually, um, you know, the movie sort of establishes that they, that this is, or was at one time a loving marriage. These are good people. They're not just like, the the issue is not that they're not good people or anything. And Mm. it sort of walks through this, this whole process of, um, getting the papers served and trying to find legal representation. And, and, and the movie essentially is, a what, at least to me, um, a kind of a big indictment on the divorce industrial complex. Um, Mm. it's, it's not, you know, I don't want to give away any endings, but it's not about how splitting up, it's not really an endorsement of divorce, but it's not like a, an indictment of divorce. It's not like, Hey, you know, if you got problems, you should split up. And it's not, Hey, if you got problems, you should stick together and work them out. It's more like, all right, well, here's what the system does to make divorce worse for you. Mm. Um, so as a married person with children, I saw the movie and I was like, this is just one more reason why you really want to avoid divorce, at least from my, my perspective. I'm Mm. not talking shit about divorce people. Um, I'm certainly not. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely seeing the movie and, and you watch the movie and you think like, man, especially because the, they are pretty civil to each other through much of the film. It's not like a nasty divorce. It's mm-hmm. really is about it, the, the film kind of goes out of its way to make sure that they are a pretty normal couple. Um, no one's like abusive. I mean, they have like a couple heated fights and, and they have a one really big confrontation. Um, that's a pretty realistic to me, um, Mm -hmm. portrayal of how quickly arguments can escalate and how, how quickly they can just become these emotional non sequiturs or these, these, just these little pockets where you just say really shitty things to each other and how, Mm. and how quickly those can deflate into apologies and how quickly they flare up into, into just these, you know, ad hominem attacks. And, so, um, it, but it really is again about how, I mean, you've got a couple of attorneys here played by Laura Dern, Alan Alda and Ray Liotta and Ray Liotta and, and Laura Dern. I mean, you cast these people because they want you to bring your preconceived notions about these actors into the picture. So mm-hmm. when in the moment that Scarlett Johansson hires Laura Dern, you're like, Oh shit. Like she's a mm-hmm. shark. You know, you can just tell, right. you know, um, and then of course he, he runs into the arms of Ray Liotta, who's just this this massacring lawyer, you know, and it really turns into this thing where, um, it's a film about how, I guess you can lose your, at least through the legal portion of divorce. Um, it's a sport for the lawyers, but Mm -hmm. for you, you're just paying a bunch of money, losing your voice. And, um, the, the, the conflict is escalating into something that you didn't necessarily start out as. Um, and, um, and how really it can you can lose your identity through this process. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's one of those things where like I don't know how anyone can come through this movie and go, well, that was a good that was a good experience because I came out of it like I don't know they wanted to use mediators and from what I can tell they really should have. Um, but mm. <laughs> um, Marriage Story is a little long. Um, it is two hours and sixteen minutes. That's kind of long for a drama, um, but. Um, 
I, I, I liked it. I was, I was pretty engaged. It, it's not a film that just fills empty space with talking. And it's also not a film that has a crap load of empty space. You know, it's, it's a pretty, it's pretty well balanced with emotional beats and, and periods without speaking. And then the parts where they do speak. Um, it's not a movie where there's just incessant and just constant banter. Like that's not, it's, it's a, it's one of those films that's sort of meant to feel realistic in that sense, but there's enough of a story structure here to where it's not just an art film where you have mm-hmm. these weird experimental phases of human emotion. It's, it definitely follows a structure and a beat pattern. And, um, and, and from, and, and, and I, 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 it kept my attention. Um, I think it's technically well done. Um, you know, nothing, I wouldn't say anything like super inventive, like filmmaking wise is being accomplished here. Um, mm. it's just a, you know, it's just an interesting story with really good actors and really good performances and it has something to say. Um, and, uh, um, yeah, I think one of the most striking things about it was the, um, the film stock. I'm looking at the tech specs on IMDb and, and I don't understand this kind of stuff. So for all, for what it's worth, but shot in one six, six, um, mm. on a Ariflex, uh, Ari cam, um, and, uh, on 35 millimeter and mm-hmm. it, and I really felt it, it, it has one of those, I, I don't know what it is about 35 millimeter, but I watch it and I, I did this, the same thing with Django Unchained. I saw that on 35 millimeter, um, mm-hmm. uh, in, on a, you know, in a theater. And I remember thinking like, what is it about film that just always feels kind of blurry to me? Mm. You know what I mean? Like you, you, you feel like it's supposed to be like the sharpest, crispest picture. And, and I don't know if it's just it's one of those things that has like a softer aesthetic to it. And maybe it's just an artistic choice, Sure. but because of the way it looked, because of that, um, that visual aesthetic, it, it sort of reminds me a lot of, it makes the movie kind of timeless. It doesn't feel like just, Oh, a 2019 film about divorce. It's like, mm-hmm. it feels kind of like it's existed for, for 15 years or so. Yeah. But not in yeah. a bad way. Not in like a, Oh, look at that footage. It just feels it's weird. And maybe again, it that's intentional. Um, sure. Yeah, I think it sounds intentional. Yeah. Um, I have not seen Noah Baumbach's other films, so I sort of knew enough about, you know, writer, indie director, man, you know, (laughs) who that I was like, okay, I I feel like I know what to like expect. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, and I I really came to this film because of Scarlett Johansson, because I'm I'm impressed with her as an actress. And I'd heard, you know, I knew enough of these other people involved, like, you know, the cast. Um, and, and Noah Baumbach's name. And I was just like, all right, well, this, and it's on Netflix. So I was like, cool, I'll, I'll check it out. And everyone says it's good. So, um, yeah, so I, 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 again, like if you're into these dramas, family dramas, you know, d- d- marriage dramas, I mean, marriage story is, is a solid entry into that. Um, I, I can't speak enough about Noah Baumbach's catalog to where I could tell you, you know, if you're a fan of his, you'll like this, but I mean, it was pretty straightforward to me. Um, you yeah. know, I wouldn't say there's any like big surprises in here, any like huge things that are accomplished, except just, you know, an interesting story, I guess. Um, yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think I, I held more interest in other people just because of my, my emotional attachment to the actors. But, you know, I got, like I said, probably three and a half star, um, nothing okay. mind blowing technical wise, just, just well-made, um, good original story, uh, writer, director, uh, thing. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know if I have much else to say about marriage story. I, it's, it's fine. You know? Sweet. I wouldn't watch it again. I mean, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I might, I mean, like, again, not like if someone else wanted to see it, I'd be like, sure. I'd I'd sit through it again. I wouldn't mm-hmm. like choose it because 
it's not my kind of movie I like to watch over and over. But sure. if someone was like, hey, if like Tara came home and was like, hey, well, I want to check out Marriage Story, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'd, oh, yeah, I'll sit through it again. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's probably Sweet. the uh, the actors that do that for me the most. Yeah, sure. So. No, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I was interested in seeing this one too, but, you know, it's not because of the director, because um, I'm not super familiar, but it, it was it was the actors. You know, I, I like mm-hmm. Adam Driver and I like Scarlett Johansson um, enough and, and I feel like um, – it, it, it's enough to make me just want to see the movie just on that alone. And, uh, yeah. So yeah, I was interested. I, what I had heard was that it's like a movie that'll rip your heart out. And so I was like, ah, I want to see it, but not quite yet. I'm not ready for that. I don't know if it does do that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's that movie, or at least not to me, mm-hmm. you know, and I, yeah, I've got sure. a low pulse. So, you know, unless it's people saving people, I'm really like, mm, mm-hmm. you know, shame. Try right, again. Right, right. But like, <laughs> right. But, but I also feel like if it had been especially gut wrenching of a family drama that would have gotten to me and, and it, and it, it doesn't, it's, it's just more like it, I, it's one of those movies where you just look at it and go, for two and a half hours, I just go, this is a situation I, I aim to avoid, you know? Yeah. And so every time something that was maybe a little bit like, Oh shit, what's he going to do? I'm just sitting there like, yep. Just another reason. I don't want this to happen to me ever. You know? Like, yeah, right. Exactly. Maybe it's one of those, it's, it's in a way it's a cautionary tale about like, you know, how not to get to a place like this. Um, Mm -hmm. but in in another way, it's like, but here's how you can come out of this without having your life ruined, you know? Yeah. But again, at the very end of it, you just sort of end up thinking like, man, if only these lessons had been realized before all this. Sure. So, you know, but, um, it's, there's, there's a basic level of, of, it's pretty much as a basic, um, message of civility and kindness, um, and compromise. Um, that's really the moral of the film. And that's a good, a good lesson to digest. Sweet. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Well, speaking of Adam Sandler, do you want to talk about Uncut Gems? Yeah, let's do it. I'm going to play that old trailer, son. Do it. Hang on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's not letting me click. Great. This is great. It's just not letting me click anything. That's cool. Here, I'll act it out. How's it going? Put Pesach out. All right, Larry. You're a Jew again. Welcome back. Made a crazy risk, a gamble, and it's about to pay off. It's pretty intense. Yeah. All right, what you got, Dustin? All right, so Uncut Gems. You just heard a little bit of it. Um, Uncut Gems is a new film that will be releasing on Christmas Day. I got to see it a little bit early, so this is another little early review for you guys. Um, This is directed by the Safdie brothers, who I'm also not super familiar with. Um, Like I know – I've heard the name, but I I don't – I haven't seen anything that they've done before, but the Safdie brothers um, wrote, directed this film. It stars Adam Sandler. It stars um, uh, Adina Menzel, or otherwise known as Adele Dazim. Adele Adele Dazim. The wickedly talented (laughs) Adele Dazim. Wickedly talented. Freezing my words. Low rent. She is not Adele Dazim. (laughs) 
I don't. Does he? Um, it also stars um, The Weeknd and uh, Lakeith Stanfield. The Weeknd? The Weeknd, yeah, and Kevin Garnett. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a crazy movie. Uh, so here's, here's the plot. The plot centers around a New York City jeweler who is addicted to gambling. Uh, so this character is played by Adam Sandler. And so the plot is uh, Adam Sandler has found um, a rock that uh, was unearthed by some black Jews in Ethiopia, a point he's very proud of. And he purchases this rock and decides that he can appraise it for over a million dollars and he pays very little for it. So when Kevin Garnett shows up, NBA star Kevin Garnett shows up at he his ju- what's he does? Oh, weird. Um, okay. And and when he shows up at Adam Sandler or Howard is his name, he shows up at Howard's jewelry shop and falls in love with this rock so much so that he wants to take it to his basketball game that night. Well. Through some bartering and some trading, Adam Sandler agrees to let him take The Rock in exchange for a little bit of collateral, which is Kevin Garnett's NBA championship ring, which Adam Sandler then immediately goes and pawns the ring for uh, $50,000 and then makes a bet on the game that Kevin Garnett is playing in. This leads to a downward spiral that affects not just Adam Sandler's personal life, I keep calling him Adam Sandler. I should call him his character name. Uh, it, it affects Howard's personal life. It affects everything about his business. And the only way out, or so he thinks, is through going deeper. So it's one of those classic stories of addiction that just gets worse and worse and worse as the film goes on. So um, a couple things here. First of all, the film is technically really, really well done. Uh, there is some great cinematography. Mm. I really have to give props to the score and to the sound design. The, the, the mix is great. Um, one thing that this film does really well is overlapping dialogue, and that's really hard to do. But what they do is they, they create this almost uh, – just immersive noise. So as a scene gets chaotic, people begin talking over one another and you, the audience member starts to feel the same way that the characters feel, which is, I don't know who to pay attention to. I don't know what to listen to, but I'm kind of hearing all of it all at once. And that coupled with the score, which is just sort of just burning this whole time, um, has this uneasy feeling that it has to be an intentional choice to sort of make you feel uh, a little bit like you're 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 choking, um, you're you're drowning in this noise, and then finally the the release is always uh, cathartic, but it always comes at a weird point. Um, but it's it's a really great mix. It's a really uh, fun movie to watch and to listen to. Um, so technically it's great. Um, the, and, and again, I can't give enough credit to the overlapping dialogue here and the actors and actresses who bring this to life. Uh, because again, overlapping dialogue is hard to do. Um, 
Having said that, um, the next thing that we need to talk about is Adam Sandler. Now, your mileage w- may vary with Adam Sandler. Um, I'll tell you where I stand on Adam Sandler. Uh, Adam Sandler obviously is best known for his comedy, and I don't like his comedy. I don't think he's very funny. I think he was at his best on Saturday Night Live, but really he was only good there because he wasn't very good there. And he was up against, you know, Farley. And it's like, man, he just became like such a good straight man for Farley that Adam Sandler wasn't phenomenal on his own. He was only great in a group. And so that's sort of. I will add my two cents. I sure. I would say my favorite Adam Sandler are the are the '90s films and even the, some of the 2000s films. I really enjoyed sure. his movies, but not the seminal ones that everyone else like. People were like, "I love Happy Gilmore." And I, love, mm. I liked I liked Big Daddy. Like I really yeah, liked sure. Big Daddy for some reason. I loved Mr. Deeds for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, the Water Boy. Yeah, the Water Boy is great. I loved I loved Little Nicky. <laughs> I really <laughs> I loved Little Nicky. I loved the whole concept. I loved I loved Popeye's chicken is the shiznit. You know, I loved I loved <laughs> yeah. all those things for whatever the, these weird product placement like. We're gonna get on Mr. Deed's plane. We're all gonna go to Wendy's. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, like it, it, it. Uh, I, I don't know. For me, it was like this. That was sort of like his his comedic brain manifested. Like, what if Adam Sandler was allowed to to make a bunch of movies? It was like, here's all these kind of weird, heartfelt premises, but just around these absurd plots. Right, right, um, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I would agree. I think he was best in the nineties. Mm. Um, because lately when you have, you know, grown ups and pixels and whatnot, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, Jack and Jill. It's like the, the this is like bottom of the barrel. Can I say stuff. one more thing? Yeah. Sorry. Just to continue this narrative. When he finally did funny people, mm. I think all of us were kind of impressed. Cause it was like, Oh, he's like kind of looking in the mirror. He's playing like a washed up, dude who's you know who's it's very obviously poking at like the kind of comedies he likes to do and this is like his sort of grown-up story of like how he like this is you know whatever and Mm -hmm. and after funny people he started making a bunch of like probably his worst films yeah exactly which are the ones that make a ton of money but like no one really likes like grown-ups or pixels and stuff like that so they're just big tax write-offs and big trips to hawaii for him and his friends and they get paid millions of dollars to do and then he started doing these weird like you know these off off offbeat experimental films which he or you know experimental roles which he'd only Mm -hmm. done a little bit of like with punch drunk love um and but we didn't see too much more of that and and now he's in like this weird new phase. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and this is, this is strange because as somebody that does not like Adam Sandler's comedy, um, I've only seen him in drama a few times. Obviously you've got things like Spanglish and you have, uh, you know, you mentioned funny people, which, you know, technically is still a comedy, but there's some dramatic punch to that. Um, rain over me, uh, those types of roles where he's he's really kind of flexing his dramatic chops. And and all of a sudden, you're right, it's like a new Adam Sandler. And I don't mind this Adam Sandler. Yeah. Um, I, I like it better than comedy Adam Sandler. So uh, here in this film, th- I, I, what I, the, the term I've seen thrown around is a tour de force. And I don't think that that's a, a, a problem title because it's accurate. And – 
And honestly, there, he's probably in just about every frame of this movie. Wow. It, it that is. That says a lot. It, it's totally his movie. Uh, all the other actors and actresses I mentioned don't matter much because it's his movie. Uh, and he, he totally sells it. Now, um, I, I'll, I'll say this uh, again, your mileage may vary, but for me, uh, it's a weird, like, uh, left brain, right brain type deal where once on my brain says like, Oh, there's nobody else that could have played this role because the role itself is kind of loud and kind of annoying. And, <laughs> and it's like, man, Adam Sandler's like perfect for that role. Yeah. And then the other part of me is like, yeah, but I don't like watching him. Like I, I just rather not think about him. So I, I would rather have somebody in there, somebody else in there, but then I'm like, but, but who? And and then the other part of me is like, oh, well there is nobody else. So it has to be Adam Sandler. And so it's this weird, like conundrum where half of me really loves that it's Adam Sandler and half of me really hates that I'm liking an Adam Sandler thing. And so, uh, yeah, so Adam Sandler, I, I, I have to, I have to give credit to him because he really, really runs away with this movie and, uh, and makes it work. Now, um, the other characters in the film, um, let's use Adina Menzel as a, as an example here, uh, severely underwritten. She plays kind of his nagging wife who um, basically only exists to be sort of a foil for him. Mm. And and so these other characters tend to be underwritten and, you know, it's a bad thing for sure. But this is so squarely Adam Sandler's film that it's not that big of a deal. Um, you know, obviously Adina Menzel, we're kind of seeing her as this nagging wife, but that's the way that he sees her. And so, you know, would it have been nice to, to step outside of his shoes and see her in a more sympathetic or three dimensional light? Sure. But at the same time, if he's our point of view character, then there's really no reason to do that. So there again, it's like left brain, right brain, where I'm conflicted on whether or not I feel like this is underwritten or written perfectly to serve the story that it's being told. Yeah. Um, so all that said, I think the Safdie brothers are smart enough to know everything that I'm saying and for it all to have been intentional. Because like I said, the, the film is so well done technically. I just don't think that they dropped the ball on this part of it. So uh, so I'm going to call it intentional and I'm going to not dock points from it. Um, and and so so here here's the bottom line for it. I'm going to give it four stars. Mm. I think that it's uh, it's a really well made movie. I enjoyed it. I don't think I would watch it again. So maybe it's a three and a half, but I'm going to call it a four just to be generous. Um, and 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 I enjoyed it. Do I think you need to see it in theaters? Well, no, because you know, it's not really one that's going to be talked about very much. Um, I'm, I've, I've heard some rumbles of like some award stuff for Adam Sandler or for the film, and I don't know if it'll go that far. Um, so while I would say, sure, watch it if you can watch it cheaply, uh, you know, maybe a red box on your home television. Um, but, but as far as running out to the theaters to see this, I think I'd hold off. It, it, it's a good movie 
And like I said, it, it's got a great, great cinematography and great sound. So you may be tempted to see it in theaters, but I don't think there's anything here that warrants having to see it big. Um, so, so that's my review for uncut gems. I, I do recommend it. It's not a wholehearted recommendation, but, uh, it's certainly worth seeing. And if you're, if you're even a little bit interested in what Adam Sandler can do dramatically, this is the movie to see. Uh, I mentioned the others, Spanglish ran over me. This is the one that you'd want to see because this film, he really, really, owns this movie and he owns this role and uh you know i don't know if the role was written specifically for him but he certainly certainly owns it so uh so uncut gems four stars and it comes out christmas right comes out christmas day that's cool that's value yeah. people that's what that's called yeah yeah dog. although although i think if i'm gonna go see a movie on christmas day it's probably not gonna be this one <laughs> What would you see? Would you uh, would you see oh. uh, Just Mercy? Uh, I I probably would see Just Mercy over this. Yeah. Yeah. What else is coming out? Oh, Star Wars is coming out, isn't it? Star Wars. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Which if, uh, yeah. I, I guess I'll see. I'll probably see it. <laughs> I'll probably see it opening weekend, but only so I can talk about it and watch everybody talk about it. You're, it's like you're listening to my to my creeper man outside too much. All right, you're gonna miss out. You're gonna miss out. Sorry, you're missing and, out. Right, right. I, I just, I just, I, I want it to be over. Also, <laughs> sorry, I could turn this into a Star Wars conversation. No, it's okay. I, I want to bring up Star Wars in a, in a little in a little while. Um, yeah. But for now, I think we shall go to break. Let's do it. Remember those? All right, yeah. Everybody. Well, we're gonna go to break. We'll and be right on back and talk about. Are we talking about Klaus? Uh, or the king. Oh, the king. That's right. Sorry. I, yeah, I got, you're good. Started, so good. I knew it was the K. I knew it was a, yes. a K. Um, yeah. Yes. Anyway, all right. Well, we'll do that when we come back over gas movie hour. Just like that, we are back. Yes. Insane. Um, speaking of insane, let's do, do you want to talk about the king? Sure. <laughs> Is it an insane movie? No. Okay, great. Let's <laughs> <laughs> but but nice try on the segue. Thank you. It, it's insane in that it's actually pretty darn good. Um so so the king is a historical drama. Oh, do you want to play the trailer? Play the trailer. Sure. Forced to rely upon the counsel of men whose loyalty I question every waking moment. 
enemy I can trust. I'm here because you're my friend. Kingdom's no friend. Ooh. I see Joel Edgerton in there too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Pattinson. Okay, cool. Oh, yeah. Okay, I remember this movie now. Yeah. So The King is a historical drama, um, which is uh, distributed by Netflix. So you can see it there. It stars Timothy Chalamet, and it was written by uh, David Michaud, who also directs, and Joel Edgerton also wrote the screenplay. Um, so, uh, and like you said, Joel Edgerton also plays in the film as well, as does Robert Pattinson, Ben Mendelsohn, Sean Harris, Lily Rose Depp. It's a pretty good cast. Uh, so the film is largely an adaptation of, uh, William Shakespeare's Henriad plays. Um, so we're chronicling the life, uh, as told through Shakespeare's eyes, um, uh, of, King Henry the fourth and King Henry the fifth. Um, so the, the King in question here is King Henry the fifth, uh, called Hal by his close friends. So Hal is sort of a wayward prince who, uh, spends his days partying and drinking and, uh, sleeping around. And, uh, eventually, uh, after the death of King Henry the fourth, as things happen, he ends up King. And he had not gotten along with his father, and so he is now using his uh, royalty to bring peace to the nation. And this goes really well until uh, he finds himself on the brink of war with the French. And so the film sort of chronicles that part of uh, his reign where he himself is joining the battle against France um, in order to, at least in his mind, eventually bring peace. Um, and so that that's sort of the, the, the story in a nutshell. Um, as always with Shakespeare and, uh, and as always with real life and history, uh, things uh, – twist and turn and go in all different directions. But, um, but it's a really great film. Um, I enjoyed the heck out of this movie and, uh, Timothy Chalamet is great in this role. He sort of almost has like a dual role here where he's, you know, the wayward, uh, party loving prince who gets turned into a king and now has to be proper and now has to be kingly. And so, it's almost a dual role for him. And what's great about that, though, is is that that means there's an arc, right? That, that this character changes. He's forced to change. And say what you will about Shakespeare. I think, you know, he's universally loved and all of this. Um, I, I think due to the age of Shakespeare's plays, uh, they tend to not be as interesting to me or, or at least not as easy to digest. Um, like I love what they're about, but as far as actually digesting them, eh, I don't have much fun with it. Um, I've done it, but I don't have much fun with it. And, um, and this really highlights what I love about Shakespeare's work, which is you focus on a character, um, and there's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. The character is going to be slapped around and he's going to have victories. But what what's 
best about this is is Shakespeare's plays tend to have a, a good structure to them, and that structure really lends itself well to film. So this film in particular has a great structure. Uh, there's really I, I can't poke a hole in the screenplay. Everything that happens happens well. You've got great character introductions. You've got uh, a, an act structure that makes sense. You've got you know a, a story that isn't overly simplistic, but is still super easy to follow and um, and fun to watch unfold. You've got characters who are insanely interesting, which to me is sort of the hallmark of a Shakespeare play, uh, that the characters are always memorable and they're always fun to watch. And, uh, and, and that's the case here. You've got, uh, sort of the standout to me other than, of course, Timothy, Timothy Chalamet is great, but Joel Edgerton, uh, plays Falstaff. Who's uh, a retired general who's seen battle and now kind of doesn't really want to go back into that world. And, and he's this drunken ex general. And that's just so fun to watch. Like that's just a great character. Um, and then Robert Pattinson is the other standout here. He plays, um, the Dauphin who is, you know, essentially the Prince of France. And, uh, he is incredibly memorable here, uh, does a great job, uh, does, really well with his French accent. So whoever his dialect coach was did really, you know, a, a great job working with him. And, um, and I, I think what's, what's magnifique. best, say magnifique, but it's, uh, what's best is, is that y- you forget like that he's not, he's not French. Right. And, and, and he sells it. And that's not just in, in dialect, although that is a lot of it. Um, but, but you also almost have to make that character feel like they're from that place. And that goes beyond the dialect. It, it's, it's mannerism. It's, uh, sort of the way that the story uh, unfolds from their lips. And, and, and Robert Pattinson does a really, really phenomenal job with that here. Um, Ben Mendelsohn is great. He plays King Henry the fourth. Um, so, uh, but, but really the standouts here are, uh, Chalamet, Edgerton and Pattinson. Um, they are all, uh, equally great and, and I love every single one of them. And every time they're on screen, I love it. I think, I think if I had to, uh, if I had to pick on anything, it might be sort of a lack of emotional depth. Now uh, that could just be me, you know. I, I'm I'm with you, Hooper. I, I tend to be a little more even keeled and uh, in this kind of stuff. So maybe for you guys out there, uh, this would be incredibly impactful. Uh, for me, I felt like it needed just a little a little push to get there, and and maybe that's intentional, right? Because. I feel like sometimes with Shakespeare, uh, it, it can it can go into melodrama pretty easily. Like there's a fine line between drama and melodrama, and Shakespeare rides that line sometimes. And so it could be that you know screenwriters Joel Edgerton, David Michaud just kind of didn't want to get that far into it, so they kind of uh, you know th- they didn't they didn't quite hit the line because they were afraid of going over it. Uh, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it, the, I, I feel like they could have given it one extra little dramatic bump in those emotional moments. Um, but that's a small complaint. Um, 
I, I but here here's the bottom line, and the, the point I want to get across is. I really enjoyed this movie. Um, it, it was one of those things where uh, I decided to have it on while I did other things and and I would watch it. And I, I don't often do this and I hate when I do it, which is like I've never seen this movie. I want to see it, but I have things to do. So I'm going to try to do both at the same time. It's really not the way movies are supposed to be enjoyed. Um, and that's the way that this started for me. I got about 10 minutes in, 10, 15 minutes in and decided to just rewind it and start over and, and actually pay attention to it. And I really enjoyed it. I had a great time, uh, with the film. And so, um, I, I, I'm going to say like four and a half stars, maybe it's not a perfect movie. It's not brilliant or life changing or whatever, but it's, it's a lot of fun to watch. I wouldn't mind seeing it again. Um, if they release this on Blu-ray at some point, maybe I'll, I'll buy it. I, I, I think I, I enjoyed, um, I, I just enjoyed the way that the story unfolded and I really enjoyed, um, some of the, uh, tactician elements when it comes to the, the, the battles and, uh, just, yeah, I just, I just enjoyed it. I, I thought it was great. And of course it's got your, your classic Shakespeare stuff with betrayal and, and, you know, whatever and intrigue and all this stuff. And yeah, it's all great. And I, I just enjoyed every little bit of it. So, um, yeah, I, I do highly recommend this. I think it's probably one of the better movies that's on Netflix. Um, and, and yeah, I enjoyed it. So, uh, four and a half stars, uh, if you are already paying for Netflix, then it's right there at your fingertips. There's no reason not to check this out, uh, especially if you have any interest at all in this sort of thing. Um, and there may be some of you out there that has, that, that you just have no interest in, uh, you know, watching English people battle each other with swords and that's fine. Uh, but, but for me, I dig it. So I was into it. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I keep seeing that I'll pop up on the screen and I, I always, you know, was curious, but not enough to like check it out. So yeah. 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 Sweet. Yeah. Man. Um, well, we got a few minutes here. Um, I, I thought I'd, I'd point a couple of things out, uh, just while we were talking about star Wars and stuff. Did you see like the John Boyega like did this interview with variety where he sort of talked about the problems with the the franchise that he's in right now. Yeah. Including I saw that. the one that's going to release. <laughs> yeah. I saw that. And then, uh, he just now, like he sort of, someone must've Kathleen Kennedy probably like put a dead horse in his bed because he sort of was like walking him back a little bit. Yeah. I think people were probably taking him out of context and, and throwing it back at Kelly Marie Tran again. <laughs> And, Probably, uh, and he was like, "No, it's not about Kelly. I just, I don't know, blah blah blah." Yeah. Um, but it was interesting because he got like pretty candid about like what he thought was wrong with the franchise, and he, yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, whenever a star would, whenever someone who's in the movie will will call out like the last film, like you know, like I used to sort of think that was like bad form, but then it's just mm-hmm. like, no, I'm 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 just, you know, I'm. I think maybe for a while he sort of got tired of being lumped in with Lucasfilm in terms of like, you know, his involvement and in, in, in what some people see as a bad movie. And he probably couldn't help himself. And he's just like, hey, you know what? I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't like some of these choices either. OK. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, I'm I'm with you. I used to I used to think that's that was bad form to yeah yeah to because essentially I mean when we were in art school the the consensus what we were taught was when you present a project you present it as if you are completely satisfied with it and you let the audience or your professors or whatever uh, critique it from their own heart rather than influenced by you. And, and so that was kind of drilled into me, but, but there's two things. One, uh, John Boyega as an actor, um, is a small cog in the grand scheme of star Wars. Um, his job is to bring one character to life and that's all his job is. And, um, and I, and I think if he says, look, I was disappointed by this, 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 he's not presenting his own work as being flawed, but rather he's just saying like, listen, uh, I, I did my best with what I was given. I was not super, uh, thrilled with what I was given, but I, I did my best. And, and so in a way it's no different than like a, a teacher giving you, you know, five objects to make some weird piece of furniture out of. And then you're like, look, I hated the objects I was given, but I like my finished product. I like what I did. And, and so I, I think that that's maybe it's splitting hairs, but I think it's a different thing. And, um, so, so I, I don't necessarily, uh, hate that anymore. Although, um, I, I don't necessarily see the, the reason for it, especially when you're still in it. Like, I feel like give it five years and say whatever you want. Right. But, uh, but yeah, who knows? Um, I, 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 the thing I read was him just calling it iffy, which is about the most tame <laughs> yeah, critique critique of the last Jedi I've ever heard. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's always interesting to, to, I mean, he's, he's, he's pretty young too. And yeah, yeah. You know, <clears throat> give him, give him time and he'll, he'll, he'll I, I kind of agree. Like it's, I, I'm glad that he sort of felt comfortable, like sort of doing that. And he probably did because the, the third movie's in the can. I'm, I'm guessing his yeah. character's killed, <laughs> 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 you know, like, so, cause he spoke with such certainty, like, yeah. Um, so I don't know, but. Well, what's interesting is, is so not only did I hear that, but Oscar Isaac was asked recently about, um, you know, with the success of the Mandalorian and, and all of this, uh, might we someday see, um, a Poe Dameron spinoff and, and Oscar Isaac, I, I, I don't know the quote off the top of my head, but essentially he was like, uh, (laughs) yeah, he was like, I'm done. I I don't want to do any more of these things. And, and, you know, maybe I'm adding the, the, the snark to it, but, (laughs) um, but it, it was very clear, like, I just love reading between the lines uh, from these yeah, actors because yeah. it feel it does feel a little bit like, I mean, who wouldn't sign on to be in a Star Wars sure. movie, and and then all of a sudden like like this is the script you're handed and it's like oh I had so many ideas about how this would go and this isn't any of them, and uh, so I I feel bad for these people honestly it, yeah. it, I put it in the same camp as like Henry Cavill who desperately wants to make a good Superman movie and keeps getting garbage. <laughs> I know. Right? right? It's the same thing to me. Yeah. 
Or, or it's, or you know, to put it another way, it's the guy who signs on for the sitcom, and you know, the first five seasons are incredibly well liked, and then season six, his character takes a turn. And it's like, well, I'm contractually obligated. Like, I have to play this role. And he argues with the writers, I don't want to play it this way. And they say, well, too bad. This is the way that your character goes. Yeah. And then what do you do? You just play the role that's given to you by the act by the writers, and you don't want that. You know what I mean? And yeah. and like that's a sucky position to be in for anybody. It makes for a toxic environment. I remember reading back when when Johnny Depp was on Twenty One Jump Street, and like he sort of you know he was on that show, and then like what happened was like it, he became like this teeny bopper, like teen idol. And he was like, I don't like that. And then like, as the show kept going on, he disagreed more and more with like the showrunners about like what his character should be doing. And if, and if, at the time for him, it just resulted in a lot of like shitty unprofessional behavior because he was like, I was just hoping they would fire me. Like that's because I knew right. there was no way on my contract if, unless they fired me. So I just, I kept giving them cause to fire me and they never did. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like right, right. <laughs> Which Man. is why when they made when they when they asked him to come back and do and and do the cameo in, in the twenty one drum seat movie, he said, I have one condition, you need to kill my character on screen. And they said, Okay. <laughs> so that's yeah. why that's <laughs> right, why him right. and Richard Grieco get shot up in the movie because yep. that was Johnny Depp's one condition. <laughs> right, I will, right. I will lend I will give you my character if you end his you life kill him. <laughs> in front of everyone. And they said right. sure. That's great. <laughs> he requested they kill him off so he so he definitely never had to do it again. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's like I, I don't know if he said this, but I think there was something. I think I believe I believe I believe he did the film for free. I, mm. I, I'm pretty. I thought I read that somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, I need to pull that stat up. Man, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> I I just feel so bad for these Star Wars actors. Uh, they're under such scrutiny and like the fans are bound to hate everything you do. And meanwhile, you kind of hate everything that you're doing. And it's just like, but I have no power to stop it. And I'm certainly not going to buy out my contract and make them recast. And mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like it's, it, you're just trapped. Yeah. And that, and that sucks because there's some of these properties where you can see it on their faces. Like this person doesn't mm -hmm. want to, we do it all the time. Like it, it, this person doesn't want to be here. Yeah. 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 Let me see if there's any, no, there's nothing, there's nothing in here about this I can find. Um, yeah. Um, speaking of star Wars and stuff like that, there's a, there's some article out here on the verge. Someone it's an op-ed, I guess it's a, it's about like it or not Marvel, the Marvel empire redefined cinema this decade. Um, mm. so, uh, it's just, it's kind of like a, you know, it's obviously slanted. So go read that yeah. if you want to. Um, meanwhile, Bob Iger, Disney CEO was named, uh, the time magazine's business person of the year. Mm. Um, all that stuff came out recently. They have the person of the year and then I guess they have subcategories. Um, so he, uh, there's an interesting article on Yahoo finance about why he deserves it. Mm. Pretty much. And if it's not, if it's not clear, just a few of these, I thought I'd rattle off some stats about, about Bob Iger's tenure. Um, just to anyone, cause you and I know these, but some people may not realize, um, in the last year, Iger grew Disney's production, distribution, and financial capacity with various developments and acquisitions. He led Disney to acquire 21st Century Fox to secure National Geographic, FX, and the remaining stake in Hulu, among other assets. Then he helped Disney seize more than $10 billion in global box office sales from Avengers Endgame, Frozen 2, The Lion King, Toy Story 4, Aladdin, Dumbo, and Captain Marvel. 
then there's, of course, Star Wars at the end of the year. Um, he helped launch Disney+. Plus. Uh, these developments pushed Disney stock to all-time heights. Disney's stock traded around $147 per share with a market cap of $265.8 billion. And he also added a lot of long-term value. Um, somebody at the time, okay, in Time Magazine, it said, Iger's tenure as the leader of the world's most lucrative dream factory has been one long CEO highlight reel. But 2019 was an apex year when many of his carefully incubated eggs hatched. Um, as CEO, he bolstered Disney's content inventory with purchases of Pixar, Marvel, and the Star Wars franchise, and he increased Disney's distribution platforms with ESPN Plus and an incremental seizure of Hulu. Um, before that, as COO, he helped acquire the Muppets and the channel now known as Freeform, um, increased the theme park portfolio in Hong Kong and Shanghai. Uh, he's been value-add from the very start. Prior to joining Disney, he led ABC Television, helped orchestrate the Disney-ABC-ESPN merger. Um and so, yeah, he's got two more years on his contract, really 18 more months or whatever, however long, mm-hmm. you know, two more years on his contract and then he's out and he has gone out with a bang and all this right. stuff. And he's being real. He just released a book, which I'm kind of dying to read, actually. Um, mm. You know, he's got a master class, but, but Bob Iger is all over the place right now. Like if, if you didn't know who he was before, like he's his face and his name is a lot more out there than it probably was, you know, in the past. Um I mean, like I said, I see masterclass ads for him on online, um, teaching business development, business acquisition. Like it's something, I don't know if it's acquisition, but it's pretty much mm-hmm. like business development. And it's like, yeah, you know, <laughs> um, Bob Iger's he's, he's, he's it. And, uh, there's this other article on IndieWire about how he's him and his team are, are trying to arrange a meeting with Scorsese and Scorsese's people after, because I guess he's particularly fired up about the comments that Scorsese made. It seems to me a little bit more of like a not not like canned arrangement, but more, I think he's probably playing up the, the the feelings and the emotion around the comments. What I really think is going to happen is they're going to sit down, and I really think that he might be either trying to figure out some stuff to develop with Scorsese, or um, he might there's there's a possibility to me in the context of the Marvel films that he might be sitting down going like, what do you think is missing from these? Like, what would you, you know, obviously you're not going to direct one of these movies, but, but what do you, what element do you feel as a, as a cinephile is missing from it? And so mm. for anything, he might just be picking his brain. Like I, I don't, the articles are always written like as if, as if they want people to think they're going to sit down and just have a big fight about it. And mm-hmm. that's not what two adults are going to do. They're going to sit right. down and go like, you know, what, what do you, th- I mean, let's talk about these topics. What, what's missing? Or here's, here's what I think you're, here's what I think you're not thinking about. And all the stuff we've talked about previously on the show, like there's yeah. merit to his comments, but he also needs to recognize the landscape has changed. And, and these movies are a whole different thing that can't be measured by the same yardstick as casino should be measured by, um, yeah. you know, but, but in, in the, you know, Marvel movies can only benefit from the inside of people like Martin Scorsese. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't just tell him like, shut up old man. Like, no, this is Martin Scorsese and he's got a point. Is there anything we can take from what he's saying and apply it to, to, to these films, you know, Mm -hmm. or are we already doing that? You know? Right. Um, I think that phase three is, is the strongest phase in the Marvel movies 
one, just because that, you know, they really got comfortable there, but they also mm. really let the filmmakers have more of their personal stamp on these movies. And it yeah. did not hurt the overall continuity of the films, which no. people were always sort of afraid might happen. Um, right. And they don't. It made the individual films better and and it kept the continuity in the team up films. So Marvel is aware of many of the criticisms from Scorsese. And there's some mm. things he said that I don't think are entirely accurate and um there's some things i think that disney should keep in mind disney marvel should keep in mind moving forward like don't forget you're trying to get people like him in the theater too you know Mm -hmm. so don't forget about that you know yeah right exactly it's it's uh it's interesting i i i like i like seeing what seems to be increased conversation about film uh publicly like through all these levels not you know between Mm -hmm. i mean who i would consider like regular people like (laughs) sounds so pretentious but like you know (laughs) but but having really nuanced and i'll I'll use the word progressive opinions about movies like people are in the mood for something new but you do have to sort of give them something familiar as a way into something new there's yep. a reason we can't just show art house films to everybody because yep. people mostly don't want that. They want, right, they want, exactly. and I think what the, what the Marvel films accomplish, and this is how I try to live my life. This is not some weird, stupid statement. This is literally the way I see my life. I really prefer structure. I prefer strict structure, but I like to know the structure so that I can decide when I want to harmonize on it. I like mm-hmm. to know what's supposed to be going on. So I know how to kind of work a different way to get to the ending um, yeah. in a way. I want to know what works so I can try a few things but fall back on structure if I must. And that's how I like my movies. I like them to have a solid structure. I like them to have a predictable structure. But I do want them to go, okay, now we're in act two. Check this shit out. And like just do something <laughs> like, whoa, that's interesting. But still hit right. the story beats because yeah. that's that's what I like. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. Uh yeah. Yeah, man, I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, oh, look at th- <laughs> look what just popped up while we were talking. <laughs> what is that? It's the end music. Oh no. We're done, Dustin. What? I think we're done. That's the we hour. We just got started. Ah. Ah. Help. All right, everyone. Well, I guess that's gonna be it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> See you it's next like time. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. <laughs> we're getting played <laughs> off, Dustin. Right. <laughs>